Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Welcome back to The Truth About Local Government. I'm delighted today to have Andrew Booth with me. Andrew is a highly experienced regeneration development leader who has worked not only in the UK, but has also worked in France. And him and I, we sat down uh, a couple of months ago and we said, you know, it'll be a really interesting episode to, to bring to the public. Let's compare the French system to the English. Let's look at the consequences. Let's look what we can learn from the French because, you know, Andrew's done some amazing things over in France and it's great to try and use that as a, as a learning platform as to how we could potentially bring that into the UK. So without further ado, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure. So first off, how is the French system different when it comes to regeneration development? So I think the first thing you have to understand about France is they have uh, a regional government as well as a centralised government. And one of the key things with this is since 1958, they've been developing ways in which they pass uh, power from central government down to the regions. And so uh, it's a long process. Like One of the key things with regeneration is you can't just turn the tap on and off. It's something which happens over a long period of time. And everyone knows the construction, the planning side of things, it takes time, a lot longer than people anticipate. What they've been able to do in France is sort of recognise that it is a long process. And so they have uh, devised a structure whereby with, with the regions themselves, they're geared up for obtaining money from the European Union and from central government. But it's almost like this two-tier system of government, it goes on pretty much unaffected what happens with world affairs. So whereas we have governments in the UK, you have problems um, around the world, and so they're constantly dealing with those. So do the regional governments just sort of keep going quietly in the background? And one of the key things that they do is they develop this regional development plan, which um, is designed by town planners. And there's actually more town planners in France than there are architects. And um, it's a constantly evolving development plan. So every region um, anticipates, if you want, that this funding out there, it'll come from somewhere. So it's a little bit like saying, okay, in an ideal world, how would we design our cities? How would we design our towns? How would we design our communes? And each of the different regions and communes, they get different funding streams themselves. So if you're in a small commune, like a typical village, there'll be the school, there'll be the Mary, there'll be a few local shops. And so their local plan will be pretty much based on how do we keep these shops going? So there might be a need for housing. So, well, if we're going to have housing in the village, where's it going to go? And that's all done before they sort of get funding. They'll employ an urbanist to come in, have a look and say, okay, this is where we're going to allocate housing in future. This is where we're going to start uh, putting a new school. Um, this is how we're going to sort of do development if it comes along. And that then is sort of amplified if you come across towns. 
And you have the same sort of system where you look and say, right, there's a housing need, where are we going to put it? You have a look across the town and city itself, say, well, these are the vacant sites. And in order to develop these sites, we're going to have to have an injection of cash. And if it's a key site, one of the first sites I worked on many years ago was in Paris, um, and it was the old railway yards in between uh, the Seine and the Gare de Lyon. And they were goods yards and railway yards, and they were transformed into uh, a ZAC, which is a development control area. And the state put in a lot of money in designing a new park, social housing, and then they allocated other areas of land for private sector development. And they built this almost like new community, nicknamed the Seine, which sort of fulfilled the requirements of the city at that time. That's just going back to a second, because there's, there's a few bits I wanted to pick up on that. You talked there about the confidence. One of the, the, the kind of key messages that comes back time and time again in England is you have to work to get development to work. You have to have the confidence and act as almost a stimulus as a council um, or as a developer, you know, in the public sector to get the private sector to buy into what you're doing. And probably I would say the most one of the biggest hurdles that has to be overcome in this country is the the change in direction from central government in terms of politics and that's really really hard that's really challenging and it seems like over in france there is less politics there is less of change in direction and therefore there is more certainty so the private sector can really embrace its development um in terms of what, what took you to france in the first place i mean that's that's quite a a really interesting life story what, what took you to france initially um i was at oxford school of architecture and I was having a lecture on, it was actually photography. And the lady who was giving the lecture on photography was the Erasmus exchange leader. And she said, oh, by the way, does anyone fancy going on a European exchange next year? It's like, yeah, I'll have a go. It's like, does it cost anything? Nope. Okay, so where can I go? She says, oh, you can go to Madrid, you can go to Spain, you can go to Paris for a year. She says, oh, oh, I fancy that. So that's how, I got an Erasmus exchange and I went and I studied urbanism at the Ecole d'Architecture Lavalette for a year. I took it actually took a year out of my architectural degree and studied it as like an extra year. Um, but I went over there and I learned about French planning law at the Ecole d'Architecture and my tutors actually were the designers of the Bercy Park project itself. And so I actually wow. did some work on it as well. So I learned firsthand how to regenerate in Paris from the guys who were regenerating Paris. I absolutely love that. And what did you feel like you took from your time in, in France? What you, When you come back to the UK in terms of what when you look at a regeneration scheme, when you look at a development, how do you approach it as an architect, but also with that knowledge and experience you gained in France? And I think one of the things that you, you sort of see instantly in the UK is that it's just not quite as joined up in terms of, every business is separate. So we've gone down this road of privatization. So um, all the utilities company can, uh, companies are privatized, all the infrastructure. So when you have a sort of a, a meeting in France, for example, we did a golf course at one point and um, we went in and we spoke to the um, our local mayor and he said, oh, right, don't worry, we need to be, get you in front of um, the regional development board. So the next stage was we had a meeting and there's about 16 to 20 people there from different uh, government departments, 
Um, there was the water uh, administration there. And so they'd seen our project and they said, yeah, we really like it. Um, there's some housing in there as well. Um, we like everything about it. You can't develop it on the land at the moment. So what we need to do is we need to change our local development plan to incorporate your project. And it's like, oh, this is great. And he said, yeah, don't get overexcited. It might take five to 10 years to get all this thing in place. But when you do get everything in place, then you'll be able to go ahead and get planning. Because, I mean, this is one of the other key things is you can only object to planning law in France, actually, when people are updating the local plan. Once you put in a planning application, it's too late. So uh, one of the first projects I did was in the south of France and we we're building a house in front of this other very nice house with a view of the sea. And uh, I asked the planning department, I said, well, you know, are these not people who are not going to object? And they said, oh, no, they have no right to object. When they bought the house, they knew you could develop in front of it. It's like they knew that you could lose the view of the sea. Like, hmm, OK. Um, so we went ahead, built our house. They lost their view. Um, but there's nothing they could do about it. And there was no planning commission. There's no um, objections. So once you start the process, and this is the same on commercial level, if you, once you have this development plan in place and then you start a project and again only architects can commit planning applications in France and it's the same application across the whole country so everything is very sort of pared down so it's a minimum amount of work because an awful lot of work has done previously as part of the development plan so if you take a commercial site for example and Say, say parking is a problem in the UK. In France, they've already looked at the site and they've said, yep, you can get a building X number of square metres on this site and there's X amount of space left for parking. And the developers say, can we not have a bigger space of land? We want more building and less parking. And the answer is no. That's the size of the building you can have on that site. That's the amount of space for parking. Um, that's it. So it, it, it seems in a way, and this is one of the things I think like from the planning aspects in 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 the uk which you know the planning systems are doing their best but there's a capacity issue in a way the way the french are doing it is they're kind of saving themselves a lot of work by potentially being a bit more right that's what you can do with it and once that's in place so there's significantly less challenges and that's that's a really interesting approach what do you think that the main consequences of the french approach to regeneration development is not only in terms of cost how long it takes to get things through the likelihood of getting something through but also do you think the french create more beautiful spaces um well i think they do create more beautiful spaces first of all because primarily um when you have development plans a lot of the time you have a competition so um for example in the in the bercy park uh there were seven or eight designs which were uh, taken to feasibility stage and 3D models were presented to show what the future of that area could look like. And then a committee decides which one they're going to take forward. And so you do have this competition system in France, not just for um, urbanism, but also for planning. If you work uh, in the public sector and there's a library required, um, there's about 2,000 architectural competitions a week, or there used to be across the whole of France. That's how they procure. So any architect um, in France can put the name forward for a competition and you can 
uh, specialize. Well, you'd have to tend to specialize to get on the list, but then you have a shortened list, and then normally the submission, and as part of that submission, is a design. So, both in terms of urban planning and then individual buildings, a lot of the time you get to see what you're going to get before you ever start. It's interesting that is because I, I, through competition you create these beautiful places, and it's so that drives. Mm. that drives a well i guess a higher standard of quality what would you like to see change in the uk that you've you know from your time in france that you think would make development and regeneration easier i think the, the biggest thing to take away is if you're if you're a local council you know you're looking after the city like you're the custodians of the city or the town so it, when you have a development plan it needs to be an evolutionary plan, it, you know, every two or three years there's going to be new new legislation that comes in. At some point in time, you are going to have funding. So I think planning for that funding, planning for the future is the key thing uh, more than anything else. So um, I think if you look at the high streets, there's, there was a huge amount of development of the high street in the 1980s and 90s. You have a lot of retail developments and then all of a sudden the internet comes along and there's less requirement for shops, but all the shops are already built in the center of towns. So um, it's very then difficult to sort of repurpose shops which were in private ownership. And if there's just swathes of retail, um, how do you change it? Who pays for the change? So if you, when you're looking at sort of the regeneration of a town center, um, if you've got some sort of master plan to think, well, okay, uh, we've got a school or a college which is going to be replaced in five or six years. Where are we going to put it? Where's the best place? Where are we going to have housing? Just sort of thinking a little bit more longer term that eventually there are these needs, where's the best place to put them? Rather than, you know, letting the market decide, which is the way in which the, the UK has gone. The, UK, the market isn't very good at deciding long-term political strat uh, town planning strategies. What the private sector wants is to be able to go in and have certainty, build a building and make money off it. The private sector isn't there to deliver services apart from to its own customers and its own shareholders. So, you know, when you look at a beautiful town space, um, there might be no profitability. Uh, there's no profit in it to develop a large park. And so that's the responsibility maybe of the town to do that. But then all those plots around the edge of that park, like happened down in Bercy, that they're sold off and they can regenerate the money for the development itself. So I think that the biggest thing is there needs to be sort of private public partnerships, but there needs to be a really understanding that the private sector can't and in many cases won't do what government or the, or the local authority wanted to do how do you feel that as an architect you approach development differently than someone who maybe doesn't come from that background or that that specialism i think we as an architect you have a a broad wide range of knowledge that goes through from planning through to construction so uh, we analyze uh, buildings town cities part of our uh, job every day and we do it very quickly and so you, you can see pretty quickly where there's going to be issues where that so when someone says i want to do this project 
say, ah, you might have a problem issue there with planning or parking or this. Um, trees, if it's in, uh, if you've got preservation orders on them. Um, then when it comes through to, uh, we did a shopping centre and we looked at a set of plans for the shopping centre and he's like, well, retail works with footfall. And you look at a plan of a shopping centre and think, yeah, all your footfall is just going to go to one area. It's not going to spread around like you want it to. So you can pick up designs and think, yeah, that's going to work or no, that's not going to work. And that's all part of your architectural training. And so I think you, you tend to, you pick up on things instantly that others might take a little bit longer. Like anyone who's ever designed a shopping centre, um, you know, it, it's fairly straightforward. If you think of it as a clock face, what you really want to do is walking at number six, have a big supermarket or a magnet store at number 12 and have everyone walking around the sides. So everyone goes in front of every single shop before they leave. If you don't have that, then your retail is not going to work. Retail works on footfall. So I think there's a lot of added value that architects can bring to projects. Oh, I think one of the biggest downfalls that architects have is if you ask them what value they bring to a project, they'll always say design. It's like, well, every architect can design. That's not really a value. That's what your job is. Uh, the true value is being able to look at designs and then tell people, well, these are the risks. And being able to tell those risks quickly. And so if someone mentions procurement, it's like, well, I want to do design and build. Well, that's great. Um, you need to make sure that you have enough design information if you're going to go out for design and build. If you just have enough, if you just do to planning, that's not enough information. You need to get your foundations designed. You need to get your M&E designed. You need to design it so that a contractor can come on board and do what he's good at. But if you don't bottom things out, the only thing he's going to do is put a huge amount of risk in there because he doesn't know. He's a contractor. He's not a designer. The first thing he's going to have to do is if a building's got no foundations, is go to a bunch of engineers and say, I need foundations for this. So if they're asked a price of it, you're thinking, hmm, I need to pay for my engineers and I'm going to guess at the foundations. I'm going to have to put a load of risk in there for those foundations. If you design it before it goes out to design and build, they're just pricing a set of foundations. You're getting the correct price. So knowing where risk is and seeing where the cost of risk is, I think is a key skill that architects have, but don't sort of push forward. That's really interesting. And it kind of it kind of plays into the part with risk because risk is obviously something that has to be considered. It has to be something that has to be managed. It has to be something that we have to consider when we're looking at regeneration. But it feels like the French seem to, their risk is mitigated more. It feels there's more certainty. Would you say that's a fair comment? How do the French manage risk? Uh, well, they manage risk by having a completely different construction industry and system. So only architects can submit planning applications and um, you don't really have the profession of uh, chartered surveyors. Um, you only you have a building control that, that looks after what we would call building regs and your planning application compared to the UK is what I call a planning permission plus. The way that they do it in France is there's only one application that goes to the state, which is the planning application. A lot of the, if you're in a public building, all the fire um, side of the building regulations, that's included with the planning application. So you have to design a lot more planning stage. Uh, 
and you, you basically take a planning application if it's a commercial building up to what we call sort of uh, planning stroke and building regs it's that sort of level of detail now this puts off a lot of developers from the uk because they say well i need planning before i can get funding whereas everyone in france is very comfortable with the idea that well if you're going to do development you have to actually design it first and you have to design it at planning stage and if you're in a seismic zone and there's um you're in danger of earthquakes you have to get all the design for the that sorted out at planning stage as well so there's a lot more upfront costs in terms of a development but because of the planning laws you know that if you tick every box you will get planning so that's that risk mitigated when you construct it there's um a building control officer who makes sure that the contractors build to the requirements of their industry so whereas in the uk it's up to the architect a contractor will follow drawings uh in france it, the uh, contractors have to comply with french law for their own trade so if you're a carpenter in france or if you're a plumber an electrician you have to comply with all the regulations it's not up for somebody else to tell you that's what you have to do and you're insured for that and the way the insurance works is that everyone is part of the insur the uh the construction team so an architect all the contractors and the building control will put money into an insurance pot on an individual building basis and that lasts for 10 years the client puts money in as well so each building has its own insurance envelope if anything goes wrong then the insurance companies come out and sort it and the litigation that happens is between everyone else's insurance company they fix the building first and then they decide whose fault it is but normally it's collective and um if it's a problem with um savers if it's a facade it's like well who built the facade have they built it up to uh building mechs did the building control officer check it these sort of checks and balances are in place and it's very much a society where um you take responsibility for your own area of work there's nobody else who's ever going to uh you can't sort of fudge things like anything to do with a uh, planning application that's down to me if anything goes wrong with that it's my name on the application anything that goes wrong with building control is down to them they have to sort that out and it's up to them to comply and make sure that the rest of the construction team complies with all the french regulations so when you when you look at developments it's sort of what can go wrong well it can be badly built yeah that's true um a few years ago there was a section of a building fell down at charles de gaulle airport now that was rebuilt and everything happened behind the scenes you don't have 10 15 years litigation on a personal level that you would do if it was happening in the uk that all happens between insurance companies well it, it's it's you know what it's been absolutely fascinating to talk this with you i mean you know i think that you have as a regeneration leader i think your time in france and your architectural background give you a really interesting and nuanced approach to development and i think you know you're uh yeah it's very interesting to talk about so um thank you for your time today andrew it's been really great to talk to you about this um it's a pleasure i, I really appreciate your time
You've been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Today, we've been lucky enough to have Andrew Booth, um, a really interesting regeneration leader uh, who's been talking about his time in France and what we can take from the French system um, to try and promote developments that are not only feasible, but also beautiful. If you've enjoyed the episode, please like, share, give a five-star review and tune in next week for some more interesting episodes. Bye for now. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com. Truth About Local Government. Local government is at the heart of what we do.